This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show. It's Zoomer Radio's Theater of the Mind with Frank Proctor. Open your mind as we fill your head with amazing thrills, chills, <laughs> and laughs. Theater of the Mind, the best love programs from radio's golden age, only on Zoomer Radio. Now, here is your master storyteller, Frank Proctor. Well, thank you, and welcome to the show. And as sometimes happens, we have two lengthy shows tonight, so I've only time to say thank you for tuning in to enjoy some old-time radio shows like the ones we have for you tonight. Let's look forward to another adventure with Luigi Basco at the half hour. But first, here's Sherlock Holmes as we hear the story of how Dr. Watson meets Sherlock for the first time. The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, the original and immortal stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, dramatized anew with Sir Ralph Richardson as Dr. Watson and Sir John Gielgud in the role of Sherlock Holmes. My name is Watson, Dr. John H. Watson. It may be familiar to you through my association over many years with one of the most remarkable men I believe the world has ever known, Mr. Sherlock Holmes. I want to tell you about one of our earliest adventures, the first time that we went out into the streets of London in active partnership. We were still youngish men, it was far back in the early 1880s. We had shared those famous rooms, number 221B Baker Street, for only a few months. Watson, my dear fellow, you're just in time. In time for what, Holmes? Well, you've so often been good enough to express a genial interest in my singular profession. Now you'll be able to see me actually at work. Oh, well, I'm delighted, Holmes. It should be fascinating. Ah, but I must sit down by the fire. Deuce chilly out. Oh, do, do, my dear fellow. Oh, by the way, Watson, why Turkish? Turkish? How do you mean? The bath. The bath you've just come from, my dear fellow. Why the relaxing and expensive Turkish, rather than the invigorating homemade article across the passage here? Well, because I felt lazy and... Uh, but I haven't said a word about it. How the deuce did you know I'd had a Turkish bath? Your boots, Watson. Boots? The thing's quite elementary, surely. Oh, no doubt, but you'll forgive me if I fail to see the least connection. You always do your boots up in the same way, Watson. However, on this occasion, I see them fastened with an elaborate double bow. Uh-huh. And so, of course, you've had them off and someone else has tied them for you. Who, for example? The answer can only be your bootmaker or the boy at the Turkish baths. 
As your boots were only made and delivered here late last week, it's hardly likely to have been the bootmaker, so what remains but the bath? Absurdly simple, isn't it? <laughs> Upon my soul, Holmes, you really are the strangest fellow. Ah, wait till you meet Milverton. He's stranger still. Milverton? Who's Milverton? Charles Augustus Milverton of Hampstead. In all probability, the most evil man in London. Indeed? He sounds fascinating. I invited him for 6.30, so he's almost due. Oh, I shiver at the thought of him. But what's he do for a living, this strange caller of ours? Blackmail, Watson. Huh? Yes, he looks like Mr. Pickwick. But heaven help the man, or worse still, the woman who's indiscreet enough to get into his power. And what have you to do with him? Well, I've had the honor recently to be consulted by a particularly illustrious lady. Who is she? Do I know her? Well, I expect you know her name. Lady Eva Brackwell, the most beautiful debutante of last season. But, of course, isn't, isn't she to be married in a fortnight to the Earl of Dover Court? Yes. It's all arranged. Unluckily for her, Milverton has managed to get hold of some imprudent letters, Watson, which she wrote some time ago to a penniless young fellow in the country. Only imprudent, mind you, but they'd be quite sufficient to break off the match. And you're commissioned to meet him? Yes, and make what terms I can. I think he's here, Watson. Will you let him in? Mr. Holmes rooms. Will you come in, please? This is Mr. Holmes. I take it you are... Charles Augustus Milverton. How are you, Mr. Holmes? No, I prefer not to shake hands with you, Mr. Milverton. Huh? This is only a matter of business between us. I see. And we can talk of it before this gentleman. It's a rather a delicate affair. Dr. Watson is my friend and partner, sir. He knows our business. Really? Well, we need hardly waste much time on it. My position is quite definite. You are acting for the Lady Eva, I understand. I have that honour. What are your terms, Mr. Milverton? Seven thousand pounds, Mr. Holmes. And the alternative? Oh, my dear sir, it is painful to discuss it. But if the money is not paid by the 14th, there will certainly be no marriage on the 18th. And supposing I advise my client to tell her future husband all about these letters you hold? <laughs> you evidently do not know the Earl, Mr. Holmes, nor me. I am practised at this game, sir. Look at this pocket. I have eight or ten similar cases all maturing in it. Here's how I make my humble breath. You scoundrel. As you like, sir. But there are details here that would surprise you for all your so-called knowledge of affairs. You may remember the sudden end of the engagement between the Honorable Miss Miles and Colonel Dorking. And only because the absurd sum of £1,200 could not be found in time. 7000 is ridiculous, Milverton. Out of the question. Is it? I think not. There was also the case of... Oh, well, no more names, perhaps. Well, sir? Watson, get behind him. Don't let him get out now. Now, sir, that notebook, if you please. You fool, Holmes. Stand back. Do you think I'd go about a business like mine unarmed? Stand back, I say. You too, Dr. Watson, or whatever your name is. Put up your hand. Holmes, I'll... Keep still, Watson. Ah, I expected something much more original, Mr. Holmes. I really did, from you. Do you think I'm just a fool as to carry the letters about with me? You only make me more determined than ever. One more word and I'll make it 8,000. And the 13th instead of the 14th. Good night, Mr. Holmes. It was one of my earliest glimpses of the kind of thing confronting us in what Holmes had been good enough to call our partnership. What he would do next, I had no idea. I was hardly prepared a few nights later, and on a particularly stormy evening, for the appearance in our chambers 
of a tall, rakish-looking young workman with a goatee beard. Governor, how are you? How? How am I? Now, look here, my good man. What do you think you're doing walking in here? These are private apartments. I happen to live here, Watson. <coughs> good heavens. Holmes. Yes, I think I forgot to warn you about my little penchant for disguises, Watson. Just one among my many other accomplishments. Phew, <laughs> <laughs> what an appalling night outside. It's coming down in sheets. Well, what on earth have you been doing? Getting myself engaged to be married. To... To be married? My, my dear fellow, I, I congratulate you. Yes, to the housemaid at Charles Augustus Milberton's. What? I had to, Watson. I wanted information. Oh, but surely that was going too far. Not at all. In my present alias, I'm a rising young plumber named Estcott. I've walked and talked with that girl every evening for nearly a week. Such charming little talks they were, too. And now I know Milberton's house in Hampstead like the palm of my hand yes. from the basement to the attics. Yes, yes, but Holmes, the, the, the poor girl, Holmes. Well, it really can't be helped, Watson. She has to become a sacrifice on the altar of my art. Oh, fortunately, I find I have a hated rival in the shape of the local grocery assistant. He's sure to cut me out the moment my back's turned. <laughs> Look out of the window, Watson. Ah, oh, what a splendid night. Well, you were only complaining about it a moment ago. As an honest citizen, as a burglar, I approve of it. As a... as a burglar? Yes, I propose to burgle Milberton's house before the night is over, Watson. It's the only way. I just want a few minutes to change my clothes and get rid of this ticklish beard, and then I shall be leaving you for the evening to your peaceful solitude. No, no, Holmes, I'm coming with you. My dear Watson. You said that we were partners, and that I should do something to shake off my indolence. Well, well... We've been sharing these same rooms for some months now. It'd be amusing if we should finish up sharing the same cell. <laughs> do you really mean it, Watson? To the death. Well, you're a most delightful fellow. Uh, oh, do you think you could contrive to make us up uh, a couple of masks? Masks? Mm. Masks? In five minutes, from black silk. I have an old umbrella somewhere. Excellent. Then that'll be your contribution. For my part, I shall be delighted to teach you how to use a jemmy huh? and a glass cutter. And this set of adaptable keys. Oh, oh, oh. Some wonderful specimens here. In two hours' time, Watson, we shall be in Milverton's study, where he keeps his safe. It adjoins his bedroom, unfortunately, but uh, I think he's pretty sure to be sound asleep. My little fiancé tells me he always sleeps like a log. Is it a bargain, Watson? It's a bargain, Holmes. <laughs> still have time to hide behind the window curtains. Right. I'll begin on the safe. Right, right. Now then. Skeleton keys. Ah, so. Oh, this fellow's a fool, you know. He ought to have had a much more modern safe than this one. Now then, let's see. 
If I could only... Now, it... Holmes! Holmes! What is it, Watson? Confounded, I've almost got it open. Someone coming along the corridor. Two people. Ah, deuce take it. What a moment to choose. It's too bad. Quick, then, behind the curtain. You can't have been in bed after all. Must have been waiting in the hall for someone. Watson, are you all right? Yes, I think so. Rather a tight fit. Well, there's a gap here I can just see through. Someone's coming upstairs carrying an oil lamp. Ah, it's Milverton, all right. There's a woman with him. Veiled. Shh, they're coming in. Well, miss, you decided to come then. Half an hour late. I couldn't manage any earlier. My mistress kept me. Well, if she's a hard mistress, you have your chance to get even with her. You tell me in your note that you've managed to get hold of some letters which compromise the Countess d'Albert. Yes, I have. You want to sell them and I want to buy them. So far, so good. I can use them in my business. Now, as to price... The price, Mr. Milverton, for everything, is your life. What do you mean, girl? Look at me. She's lifting her veil, Holmes. That's no lady's maid. Great heavens! Is it you? Yes, it's I, Charles Milverton. And don't you dare to speak my name. You've fouled it enough. You've ruined me the way you've ruined so many others. You should have found the money in time. And because I couldn't. Because I begged you for two days' grace. You sent those letters you had to my husband. And he died. And you know how he died. The finest man in the world. And the letters were false. You changed the dates on them. They were written before I met him. Keep back from me. Put that pistol down. No, not till I've used it. You'll break no more hearts, Charles Milverton, as you've broken mine. You hound. You filthy hound. Great heavens, Holmes. Quiet, man. He's done for. And she's got away, thank heaven. Who was that woman, Holmes? Surely you know that face, Watson. Not the Duchess. Never, never mention names, Watson. Now's our chance if we're quick. What are you doing, man? Safe, Watson. The paper's in the safe. To save our own client and who knows how many more besides. Quick, put that bundle in your pocket, Watson. Yes, yes. Give the rest to me. Hurry. Someone must have heard the shots. Listen. There are people coming. Out of the window quickly, Watson. So we escaped. Down a convenient drain pipe, over two garden walls, and luckily found an empty hansom at the bottom of the road and reached Baker Street at last. And safety. Our adventure was over. Or almost over. As I lay tossing sleeplessly in bed that night, I found myself more than ever intrigued by the personality of my strange companion. I recollected our first meeting only a few months before. I'd just come back from medical service abroad and was moping miserably about this old London of ours of handsome cabs and fog and gaslight, doing simply nothing at all. And then, standing at a Piccadilly bar one day... Hello there, Watson. Remember me? Uh, what? Why, yes. Stamford. Young Stamford. Used to be a dresser under you and you were a medical student at Bart's, remember? Of course I remember. Confounded, it's a pleasure to see a friendly face, Stamford. London's the very deuce for a lonely man. Oh, what on earth have you been doing with yourself, Watson? 
You're as thin as a lath and brown as a nut. Oh, oh. Afghanistan, you know. Uh-huh. The campaign out there, army surgeon. I say, have a drink, will you? Thanks, I don't mind. Uh, start, I think. I got wounded pretty badly. At my wand, confounded nuisance, subclavian artery. Uh, two glasses of stout, please. Invalid enough, then, eh? And uh, what are you doing with yourself now? Nothing, nothing. Trying to solve the problem of finding comfortable rooms on an army pension, 11 and 6 a day, eh? <laughs> Well, here's your health, Stamford. Yours, Watson. Here's to old times. Strange you should say that, you know. Say what? About looking for rooms. You're the second man today who said that to me. And who was the first? Oh, some fellow was working in the chemical lab up at the hospital... A fellow called Holmes. You wouldn't like to go halves, I suppose? Exactly what he was saying. Looking for someone to share with him, you know. I'm the very man, then. What's his other name? Sheringford, is it? No, 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 no. Sherlock. Knew it was something queer. Sherlock Holmes. What's he do? Oh, deuced if I know. He's got a whole store of out-of-the-way knowledge that would astonish the professors. And he's a first-class chemist. Says he's going in for something quite special. I say, Watson. Huh? Let's go along to the lab and meet him. He's bound to be there. Let's have lunch somewhere and, and then go on, shall we? Excellent. I only hope it comes to something. I must confess, he sounds quite interesting. Uh, through this way. He's bound to be there. Uh, mind you, Watson, you mustn't blame me if you don't get on with the fellow. He's pretty queer in his ideas. How do you mean? Well, I actually came on him the other day, beating the subjects in the dissecting room with a stick. What on earth for? Said he wanted to find out how far bruises could be produced after death. Uh, through here now. Mm. Gruesome tastes, eh? Still. Ah, there he is. The tall fellow behind all the test tubes and retorts. I told you he'd be working. I say, Holmes... Stanford. Eureka, Stanford, I've just found this. Oh, found what, Holmes? A reagent which is precipitated by hemoglobin and by nothing else in all the world. Indeed. Well, I want you to meet Dr. Watson, Holmes. Watson, this is Mr. Sherlock Holmes. How are you, Doctor? From Afghanistan, I perceive. What? How on earth did you know that? <laughs> Never mind. The question now is about hemoglobin. No doubt you see the significance of this discovery of mine. Well, it's probably interesting enough chemically, but from the practical point of view, My I... My dear fellow, it's the most practical medico-legal discovery for years. Don't you see that it gives us an infallible test for bloodstains? Indeed? Yes. Criminal cases are always hinging on this kind of thing. A man suspected of a crime long after it's committed, let's say, and his linen turns out to have brownish stains on it. Yes, but are they blood or mud or rust stains or fruit stains or what? Now we have the Sherlock Holmes test, Dr. Watson, so there can be no more difficulty. Ah, I dare say you are to be congratulated, Mr. Holmes. Of course I am. There was the case of von Bischoff at Frankfurt last year, and, and Mason of Bedford and Sampson of New Orleans. I could name a score of cases where the thing would have been decisive. By Jove, you're a regular walking calendar of crime, Holmes. Well, why not, eh? What could be more fascinating? Uh, have you a taste for such matters by any chance, Doctor? Oh, well, I confess it's been a little beyond my range. Oh, you'll get it, sir. You will, I assure you. The thing grips you like a drug. Uh, Holmes, I wanted you two to meet because Watson's on the lookout for someone to share diggings with him. Oh. The same as you are. Capital, Doctor. You look the very man for me. I've had my eye on a suite in Baker Street. Number 221B. Uh, Mrs. Hudson is the landlady's name. Uh, you don't mind the smell of strong tobacco, I hope. I always smoke ships myself. <laughs> That's good enough, then. Oh, and I generally have a few chemicals about and carry out experiments like this one. That wouldn't annoy you? By no means. Well, then let me see. What are my other shortcomings? Oh, I get down in the dumps sometimes and don't open my mouth for days on end. 
And, um, oh, I've a fancy for revolver practice indoors. So long as I can rely on your aim. Infallible, I assure you. Now, uh, what have you to confess? <laughs> oh, when I get up at all sorts of ungodly hours and I'm very lazy, I... <laughs> I don't like too much row, but, but, oh, but I put up with the revolver shots. Good. I've got another set of vices when I'm well, but these are the principal ones for the present. Then that's all right. Thank you, Stamford. I'm very much obliged to you. Well, shall we go together, Dr. Watson, and look at the rooms tomorrow? Uh, say, at noon? At noon, Holmes. It'll suit admirably. Oh, one other little thing, the violin. You don't include violin playing in your category of rows. It depends on the player, my dear Holmes. If it's badly played... Ah, that's something I shall have to leave you to judge for yourself, my dear fellow. And I shall have pleasure in testing your ear with a few of my own little compositions. Then you will be able to judge my modest capabilities. Till tomorrow, then, my dear Dr. Watson. Till tomorrow. So we took those rooms together and settled down quite amicably. As the weeks went by, my interest in my companion intensified. I studied his sharp, piercing eyes, his thin, hawk-like face, and I wondered time and again what he did for a living so as to pay his share of our humble reckoning. He was out at all sorts of strange hours, and when he was at home, curious visitors were always calling on him. And then he would ask if he might have our sitting room to himself. It was a thin, sallow, dark-eyed fellow called Lestrade, for instance, who came three or four nights in one week. Once, a fashionably dressed young girl waited on him. At another time, it was a railway porter in his velveteen uniform. The thing puzzled me, until at last one day... Ah, you wonder what I do for a living, Watson, eh? I've seen you looking quizzically once or twice <laughs> at these visiting clients of mine. Clients? Yes. Holmes? Yes. Oh, just pass me over the Persian slipper, will you, my dear fellow? I always keep the tobacco in it. Thank you. The fact is, I'm a professional thinker, Doctor. A thinker? Certainly. I piece things together, you see, just as a logician could infer the possibility of an Atlantic or a Niagara from a single drop of water without having seen or heard of either of them, so I build rare edifices of deduction from the observation of a few simple facts. Oh, oh come home. That is the truth, I assure you. If you're looking round for a cigar, by the way, my dear chap, you'll find them in the coal scuttle. Yes, yes, I have a trade all my own, Watson, the only one in the whole world. I'm a consulting detective. Oh, that's London's full of detectives, Holmes. Oh, lots of government ones and plenty of private ones, but none like me. I've built up quite a special little connection, Watson, and when any of these other fellows are at a loss, they generally come to me to put them right. Not just, just by thinking about things, I suppose. Exactly. I've a turn for observation and deduction, as you must have noticed. <laughs> that first time we met, for instance, when I mentioned to your surprise that you'd just come from Afghanistan. Oh, you were told about it, no doubt. Nothing of the sort, Watson. I just knew. It's second nature to me. My train of thought ran something like this. Here's a fellow who's a doctor, but with the air of a military man, clearly an army surgeon then. Just come from the tropics, for his face is dark, but that isn't his natural colour, for his wrists are fair. His arm is stiff, he's been wounded. Where in the tropics could an English army doctor have been wounded lately? And the obvious answer was in the Afghan campaign, probably the Battle of Maiwand. <laughs> it's simple enough when you explain it. 
I confess I was taken aback a bit at the time. <laughs> and do you mean to say that you apply these principles to the detection of crime? Of course I do. That fellow Lestrade you were asking me about the other day, for instance, he's a Scotland Yard man, one of the best. But he got himself into a fog over a forgery case recently and came to me to ask my advice on the evidence he had. I solved it for him on the spot. Upon my life, you astonish me, Holmes. I had no idea that that was what you were up to. What, what gave you the notion? Oh, natural talent, I suppose. When I was still at college, a small thing happened to come my way which enabled me to solve a curious crime. I decided that I had a taste for such matters, and so here I am now, a professional investigator. That's the kind of thing I deal with in this life of mine, Watson. That, and of course my music. Well, I never thought of you as a professional investigator of crime. Even when you talked about it so much at the hospital that time we met. Well, one really must do something to keep oneself from boredom. You may find yourself mixed up in it one of these fine days, you know. You never know, Watson, you never know. And I was, of course, you know that now, with the Milverton exploit, as I've related it, as the first real adventure of them all in which I felt myself truly involved. It ended rather oddly, that burglary episode of ours. The very morning after it, after my sleepless night, there came in the little man I'd so often seen before. Lestrade, the good Lestrade of Scotland Yard. Good morning, my dear Lestrade. Good morning, Mr. Holmes. I was wondering... Oh, this is Dr. Watson, by the way. He was asking all about you the other day. How do you do, Doctor? Any friend of Mr. Holmes is, is a friend of mine. Delighted to meet you, Inspector. Well, sit down, will not you, and share a pipe with us. Too much of a hurry, I'm afraid. I just wanted to ask if you had anything particular on hand, Mr. Holmes. Oh, I don't think so. Nothing much. A uh, little matter down at the docks involving a giant rat from Sumatra. You can leave the rats to look after themselves, Mr. Holmes. Uh, there's been murder done up at Hampstead. Wanted you to look into it for us. Queer business. Oh, really? Who's been murdered? Fellow called Milverton. Indeed. I believe I've heard the name. Holmes, Holmes. Not feeling dicky, are you, Watson? Any details, Lestrade? Well, uh, we know who did it, of course. You know? Good heavens. Couple of them, Doctor. Nearly got them, they did. There was a hue and cry, you see. They got away, worse luck, but they were seen. How interesting. And what are they supposed to look like? Well, first one, very tall. Other fellow, middle-sized, thick-necked man with a moustache. Moustache, They both had masks over their eyes. Oh, come, Lestrade. That's rather vague, isn't it? On my soul, it might even be a description of Watson and me, eh, Watson? It might indeed. <laughs> You're right, Mr. Holmes. You're perfectly right. <laughs> if I do, it might be. <laughs> well, uh, uh, will you handle it? I'm afraid not, Lestrade. Not this time. I know something of this fellow Milverton. He was a rogue and a blackmailer. There are certain crimes that the law can't punish adequately, my dear fellow. And in this instance, my sympathies are with the criminals, this trade. I will not handle the case. Uh, well, if you won't, you won't. I'll get the fellows all right in time, I dare say. Will you, Lestrade? Oh, I do hope you may. Pass me my violin as you go out there, a good fellow. I feel deuced lazy this morning. Had rather a strenuous night. Pleasure, Mr. Holmes. Well, good morning, Doctor. See you again, I dare say. 
Always in and out of Baker Street, you know. Good morning, Inspector. Morning, Mr. Holmes. Good morning. Best of luck, Lestrade. Oh. <laughs> well, another five minutes like that, Holmes. I'll take myself back to Afghanistan. Oh, no, you won't, Watson. You'll grow to love it, too. <laughs> this is only the beginning, my dear fellow. <laughs> only the beginning. <laughs> The Adventures of Sherlock Holmes, based on the original stories of Sir Arthur Conan Doyle, have been dramatized anew with original music composed by Sidney Torch. Sir Ralph Richardson played the part of Dr. Watson and Sir John Gilgood that of Sherlock Holmes. The program was produced by Harry Allen Towers. Stay tuned for Life with Luigi, next on Theater of the Mind. Time now for J. Carol Nash to star as Luigi Basco, a program which always begins with Luigi writing to his mama in Italy. We invite you to enjoy life. Life with Luigi, a new comedy show created by Cy Howard and starring that celebrated actor, Mr. J. Carroll Nash, with Alan Reed as Pasquale. A year ago, when Luigi Basco left Italy to start his new life in America... He promised his mother that he would write and tell her about his adventures. So now let's read Luigi's letter as he writes to Mama Basco in Italy. Dear Mamma Mia, America is a great country where everybody's a very nice and friendly. And right now, Mamma Mia, in America is what they call income tax season. <laughs> This is the time when everybody is busy figuring how much money they got to send to the government and how much they're going to live on and what they got to live. <laughs> Me, I'm going to try to be extra good American. I'm going to wait for March 15. Last of January 1st, I make out to my income tax and I send it to write in. I'm got empty pockets of three months before everybody else. <laughs> But I'm a got the good reason for sending my money in so fast to Mamma Mia. I'm a no want to be guilty of what they call withholding a tax. <laughs> Mamma, by the time you receive this letter, is it going to be time for your birthday? Happy birthday, Mamma Mia. I only wish I can send you silver candlesticks. I promise you I send them when I come to America. But is it going to have to wait for a little while? Anyway, in a close, you're going to find the birthday card 
which I'm buying a store especially for you. They don't have the kind of card I want, but do you know, with us, the feeling is a count more than anything else. So don't look where it's to say, Happy Father's Day. <laughs> anyway, I'm still going to try to get something nice for you. Right now, I'm leaving my antique shop for my night school class. Hello, Mr. Basco. Got a registered letter for you. Oh, thank you, Mr. Melman. Oh, uh, Mr. Basco, you got any new stamps from Italy for my kid? No, but when I get some more, I save it for you. Hey, this letter must be advertisement for new mamas. It's a, say, maternal revenue department. <laughs> you better take a good look at it. It's from the internal revenue department. Well, so long. Internal revenue. Dear Mr. Basco, an internal revenue agent will call to see you tomorrow at 4 p.m. in reference to your 1948 tax return. Mamma mia, what can they want from me? I go right now and ask my night school teacher, Miss Spaulding. Let's come to attention. I'll call the roll. Mr. Basco? Uh, present. Mr. Horowitz? Present. Mr. Olson? Present. Mr. Schultz? Mr. Schultz, you're here. Aren't you going to say anything? What is there to say? I'm here, and that's all. <laughs> please, please, Mr. Schultz. Now, class, our lesson for today is on government. Now, who can tell me the three main branches of our government? I can see, John. Good. What are they? Main branch, uptown and downtown. <laughs> no, Mr. Schultz. No, that's completely wrong. That's not even anywhere All near... All right. Don't rub it in. <laughs> Will someone else volunteer to answer that question? The three main branches of the government. Now, if you recall, I gave you a simple formula for remembering it. Think of Washington and three branches on one tree. I'm exploring. I try. Fine. Well, uh, is it the, the legislative, the, the executive, the executive, uh, executive... Luigi, get off that branch before you break the tree! Please, please, Mr. Schultz. Legislative and executive is correct, Mr. Basco. Now I'll give you a hint. The third department has to do with court. Oh, yes, I'm a remember. A legislative, an executive, and a judicial. Perfect, Mr. Basco. For that, you get a good mark. Never mind the good mark. Give Luigi a refrigerator. <laughs> Mr. Schultz, please. Oh, yes, Mr. Olson? Uh, your, uh, the legislative department is to make the laws. The executive department is to carry out the laws. The judicial department is to try the laws in court. That's very good, Mr. Olson. Oh, I stay up real late last night, Miss Spaulding, and I study real hard. And that's why I always answer the questions right. What a show-off. I hate a man but knows everything. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Miss Spaulding. Yes, Mr. Basco? I'd like to ask you something. A little while ago, I'm a receiver this letter from Internal Revenue Department. Ooh, Internal Revenue Department, Luigi. <laughs> oh, that's bad. Why didn't you pay your income tax? 
Who had a short summer pay my tax in January. That's uh, two months ahead of the time. Oh, that's even worse, Luigi. They suspect you if you're too anxious. <laughs> the California Limited leaves at four o'clock. Jump on it. Get away. Go out of town. Get out. Mr. Schultz, please. Please, Mr. Schultz. <laughs> Really. They do not suspect you, Mr. Basco. The government is very grateful to anyone who sends his tax money in before the big rush. Then why the government is sending a special man to see me tomorrow? Luigi, maybe they, they want to thank you for being an early bird. Then why don't they send me a letter of thanks? So why are they sending a man? I'll tell you why, Luigi. Because they can't fit handcuffs into an envelope. <laughs> Wait for me, wait for me. Oh, my rheumatism, Louis. Oh, listen to me. I couldn't get $30 for myself on a used car lot. Schultz, in the come taxman is a come tomorrow at 4 o'clock. Do you think he's going to make a trouble? Oh, smile, Luigi, smile. <laughs> Maybe you just made it a little mistake and nothing is going to happen. You know what happened when I first came to America? I sent in my first income tax without anything written on it. <laughs> Why? Because on the top it said, return this income tax blank. <laughs> I'm trying to make you laugh. Schultz, is it going to be some birthday present for my mama if she finds out I'm in trouble with the government? Don't worry, Luigi. Smile. What can they do to you? Can they take away your money? Can they take away your clothes? Can they take away your business? Schultz, can they? Tomorrow night, you know, if you ain't got it, they took it away. <laughs> Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. <laughs> hello, Pasquale. What's the matter, Luigi? You're walking around like a chicken with its tail between its legs. <laughs> Pasquale is a long story. You see, I'm going to get a letter from Income Tax Department that says a man is coming to antique shop tomorrow. So I'm taking tonight to school for help. Miss Spaulding says there's nothing to worry about. But Olsen is saying it's maybe trouble, and the shoots is making it sound even worse. Oh, she'll go to everybody, but your friend is bringing you from the other country, Pasquale. Luigi, why are you always running around every place for information when you could have come right here to get the dope? <laughs> You're so right, Pasquale. <laughs> Is there nobody a bigger doper than you? <laughs> That's a funny thing. When I'm saying it, it's come out a different. <laughs> Luigi, you always are going to have a trouble with a taxi department because you ain't got a, what they call a dependent. Dependent? What's that? A dependent? That's just something a fella is a married, so he should pay less taxes. Oh, 
Now, I'm going to show you I'm your best friend, Luigi. I'm going to give you one of my dependents a free of charge. <laughs> you will, Pasquale? Sure, I'm going to give you a wife. For Pasquale, you already married to her. Not my wife. My daughter Rosa. What do you say, Luigi? No, Pasquale. Rosa is a too fat for me. <laughs> Oh, what if my little girl is away 250 pounds? If you marry an ordinary girl, you got a one dependent. If you marry my Rosa, right away you got a two dependent. Pasquale, please, don't talk about Rosa. Just to tell me, why is income tax men coming to see me? Why are they coming to see anybody? To get them more money. Tell me, my big businessman, how much money you send it to the government in January? Ten dollars. Ten dollars. Well, there's your trouble. You violating a very big law, the uh, E Pluribus Unum law. <laughs> that's, that's what they call it. E Pluribus Unum? Sure. For men is the E Pluribus Unum, for ladies is the She Pluribus Unum. <laughs> for Pasquale, if this is American law, why is it written in a foreign language? Because it's especially for foreigners. They got to pay an extra hundred dollars. Hundred dollars? Mamma mia, Pasquale, when was this law passed? Uh, just a half hour ago. <laughs> Didn't you hear it on your radio? No. No wonder you ain't got FM. FM? Sure, FM. That's the meaning they broadcast about a hour of the money. <laughs> your radio, your radio is AM. That's the meaning they broadcast only about American money. But Pasquale, what am I going to do? I'm not got a hundred dollars to pay this Unum tax. Well, I'm not such a bad fella. You know, Pasquale's got a big heart, always taking care of people he's alike. Luigi, I'm ready to give you a hundred dollars to keep you out of Alcatraz. All you got to do is marry Rosa. What do you say, my son? Pasquale, where's Alcatraz? All right, go ahead. Be stubborn. You ain't got no credit in the bank. Where are you going to get the $100? Pasquale, I go to a loan company. I see advertisement in all the papers that say, we lend you money. All you need is co-signer. Well, I'm going to get a Schultz and he's going to sign it for my co. Go ahead. Get a Schultz. See what I... Uh, uh, loan company. Uh-huh. Luigi is no hard feeling between us. What do you want a Schultz for? I'm your best friend. I sign it for you, Cole. Pasquale, you do this for me? Sure, I know a fine loaner company. The Happy Finance Company on a Dearborn Street. 800 a block. Oh. Now, you go down the first thing in the morning. I'm going to take care of everything for you right now. Go ahead, my little man. Take a walk. Stop worrying. Oh, thank you, go, Pasquale. Go. You're a real friend. Sure. Goodbye. Go, go. Goodbye. <laughs> Ah, bro, Figaro, bravo, bravissimo. Ah, bro, Figaro, bravo, bravissimo. Fortunatissimo, fortunatissimo, fortunatissimo. Hello? Happy Finance Company? Fellow by name of Luigi Vasco is coming in tomorrow for a loan. I'm his co-signer, so give him all of the money he's asking for. A hundred, a thousand, even a million dollars. I'm a good for it. Oh, pardon me, I gotta hang up for now. My keepers are coming for me. What's my name? Pasquale. But around here, everybody's calling me Snake Pit.
Life with Luigi continues in just a moment. But first, every once in a while, you hear an announcer making the fact that 99 million people listen to CBS every week. So let's add another fact on there to the effect that most of them are crazy about a certain blonde. Along with Jack Benny, Lux Theater, and Arthur Godfrey, this blonde's always one of the most popular in radio, and she does it by thoroughly confusing everyone. All the way from the income tax experts and insurance salesmen to her boyfriend and best girlfriend. If you haven't met my friend Irma, the blonde in question, wangle an introduction over most of these same stations tomorrow night. There's never a dull moment, never a lull in the laughter when my friend Irma tries to let an idea enter her pretty blonde head. And now for the second act of Luigi Vasco's adventures in Chicago, we turn to page two of his letter to his mother in Italy. And so, Mamma Mia, although in a come a tax man is a come this afternoon to see me, I'm not so worried because I'm going to loan a company to borrow hundred dollars. Everything is a depend on this loan, so I'm fixing myself up to look like a real rich man. I'm going to wear for the first time what you gave me when I left the home. The blue earmuffs and the red tablecloth. <laughs> tablecloth is going to make a fine muffler. Also, I'm going to get a haircut. Cost me 20 cents. And I bite my fingernails all nice and even. <laughs> also, Barbara is selling me special perfume. It's like expensive. Cost me 10 cents, a half a milk bottle. <laughs> But the mamma mia, believe me when I say, with my haircut, a shave, my nails and my smell, nobody we ever bury look so good. <laughs> Excuse me, please. This is the Happy Finance Company, no? That's right. Well, I'm coming to make a loan from you. My name is Luigi Basco. I... Basco? Say, were you recommended by your friend, Mr. Pasquale? That's right. I'm going to get out of sight. I think I was a pushed. Please, mister. Maybe you heard the wrong. I was talking about a fellow who is a guarantee this salon for you. What did you say his name was? Pasquale. This is the time I'm sure he's a pushing me. <laughs> I'm a think of Pasquale is no helping me. He's a throw a monkey into my wrench. <laughs> <laughs> Mamma mia. That was my last chance to get $100 for a heap pluribus to unum attack. So what am I going to do now? I know. I'm going to go right down to the income tax department. I'm going to wait for them to come and get to me. I'm going to give myself up. Mamma mia, what a big building. On the top, as it say, treasury depth. Such a big building just for that. Must be everybody is in a depth to the treasury. <laughs> well, Luigi, you always was a good citizen. Take your courage in your hand. Go inside. Explain everything to them. I'm supposed to pay $100. I'm going to pay only $10. Is $90 a short? <laughs> Mamma mia, look at how all those girls are working and the people all are rushing around. They must have been turning the whole place upside down and looking for my $90. <laughs> I'm 
Pardon me, mister. Please, sir. Yes? I'm Luigi Basco. I give up. What? It's no use to look for the money you want to find it. Well, why not? I'm going to never send it. What are you talking about? Please, Mr. Taxman. Take a look at this fine overcoat. It's got a real beaver collar with a pile of buttons. <laughs> Tell me, how much you think is worth? Mm, well, uh, I'd say about $90. $90? Take it, we're even up. What? Goodbye, and God bless you. Hey, 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 wait, come back here, mister. I don't want this cold. I, I huh? think you're all mixed up. Uh, just who are you looking for? In a come tax man. Is it no you? <laughs> no. Hey, just go to room 202, right over there. Oh, thank you. Yes? Can I help you? Hey, look, Mr. Taxman. I'm have a lot of trouble with my taxes. <laughs> well, everybody does. I'll try to help you. Did you make out a long form or short form? I'm a no remember. It was about a ten inches long and a six inches away. <laughs> oh, no. When you filled out your form, do you remember... Was it a 10.40? I'm not sure, but I think it was closer to 12 o'clock. <laughs> huh? Well, never mind that. Did you use a tax table? Tax table? No, I'm going to use a plain kitchen table. <laughs> Look, mister, let's use this form as an example. Did you fill out something like this? Yes, sir, that's right. Okay. Now, are you a worker or are you in business? Well, I'm a worker, but it's not so much a business. <laughs> well, that's not... Let's take item two. All right. Income. Just how much did you say you took in? $800. What? You're in business and you made $800 all year? Did you tell the truth? To tell the truth, I didn't tell the truth. Well, if $800 isn't what you took in, how much did you take in? I'm only taking in $400, but I'm ashamed to put down so little. <laughs> that sounds very good. But I warn you... The department checks on everything. I don't know why people have trouble figuring out their tax. It's all down in black and white. Uh -huh. Here, I'll read it. All right. If your income was less than $5,000, you may find your tax in the tax table and paid for. This table, which is provided by law, automatically allows you about 10% of your total income for contributions, interest, taxes, casualty losses, medical expenses, and miscellaneous. But if your expenditures and losses of these classes amount to more than 10%, it will be advantageous to itemize them and compute your tax on page 3. Do you understand that? Please, if you don't mind, I'd like to ask you one question. What? Do you understand that? <laughs> Let's read it again. All right. If your income was less Wait a minute. Exactly what did you come here for? Well, I'm going to receive this letter. No, I say. Hey, mister. You better go right home. An internal revenue agent is coming to talk to you in about a half hour. I know that. That's why I'm a come to see you about it. Please. I'm always a try to be good a citizen. What the government will do to a man who's who's a no pay his taxes? <laughs> Mamma mia. Mamma mia, what the kind of punishment is this? <laughs> Luigi, my friend. Hello, Luigi. Hello, hello. Hello, Pasquale. What's the matter? You didn't get your loan? I'm not can understand why. 
He's the worst friend out of Pasquale. I'm going to go to Income Tax Department, and a manager mixing me up with a short form, a longer form, at 10.40 o'clock, and I'm going to tell him a kitchen the table. He's going to say, put on a tax table. We got an argument. I don't know what do you think he say. What? <laughs> What's the matter for you? You swallow a nanny goat? Pasquale. I'm in the most terrible trouble of my life. I think I'm a disgrace to everybody. American government, because I'm not going to pay my tax. And my mamma mia, because I'm not going to send her a birthday present. Pasquale, everything is useless. And I'm not even got the one friend. Luigi, don't talk so fast. You've got a me, and I'm the most useless friend you got. <laughs> Stop worrying. I'm going to pay you tax. I'm sending you mom a nice birthday present. Pasquale, you going to do all of this for me? Sure. Pack up your troubles in your old bag and a smile. <laughs> for anybody who's my son-in-law, I'm all the money bags of Pasquale. The money's going to flow like a wine. And the what's for somebody who's not your son-in-law? Pepsi-Cola. <laughs> Well, what's going to be your pleasure? Disgrace or Mary Rosa? Remember, revenue man is going to be here right a minute. All right, the Pasquale. Ah, you're making me so happy, Luigi. You're a real fine Italian boy. You ask the father's permission before you run away with a girl. <laughs> now I call it a happy bride. Rosa! 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 Come here, my little pigeon. Say hello to Luigi. <laughs> hello, Luigi. Hello, Rosa. <laughs> well, Luigi, you ready to fly away with a Rosa? Pasquale, how am I going to get her off of the ground? <laughs> Well, now we make a plan for the honeymoon. I'm Mr. Wallace from the Treasury Department. I'm looking for Mr. Basco. Is he here? That's me. He's all right, Mr. Treasury Department. I'm going to take care of everything. Luigi, you and Rosa, go in the kitchen and bake a cake. I'm going to pay for everything. Hey, uh, just a minute, Mr. Basco. I'd like to talk to you. You know, ordinarily, when there's a tax discrepancy, we send out a letter. But inasmuch as this was your first return, we have been authorized to contact you personally. I know. I'm not paying my hip pluribus on my tax. Luigi, go bake. What? Mr. Basco, there's no such thing as an e, e pluribus unum tax. What? The, a revenue man is a right, Luigi. A half hour ago, this tax was a repeal. <laughs> hey, Pasquale, where do you find this out? On an AM or an FM? Television. <laughs> now go, Luigi. You and Rosa, go bake a cake. Just go, a go. minute, please. I'd like to finish my business here. Mr. Basco, you don't owe the government any money. We owe you money. Here's a check for $10 you overpaid. I'm going to get the money back. <laughs> Imagine, Luigi's overpaying the tax. That's a stupid thing. But he's a good-hearted little fool. And you know something? If I, Pasquale, was to get money back from the government... 
I'm a like this little fella so much, I'll be giving him every penny. Oh, are you Pasquale of Pasquale Spaghetti Palace? See? Well, I just about, I'm just about to contact you. Say, who makes out your income tax? You overpaid your income tax, too. I've got a check for you for $40. What? Pasquale. Uh, look, I'm... Mr. Pasquale, I'm taking you at your word. Here you are, Mr. Basco. Mr. Pasquale's check. Thank you. Hey, Luigi, where you going? Come back, my son. Goodbye, pluripassion. <laughs> So, Mamma Mia, everything has come out of fine within a come taxi department. I'm still got the papa's overcoat. And the best of all, for your birthday, I'm sending you a with a package with a pair of a silver candlesticks. Do you like them, Mamma Mia, huh? You see, I'm keeping my promise. Mamma Mia, if you see a couple of tears on this page, don't think it's me crying. If it was a Pasquale, when he's a pay for the candlestick. <laughs> well, Mamma Mia, happy birthday. You can't hear me singing while I'm writing this, but I'm a singer just the same. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday to you. Happy birthday, Mama. Excuse me while I turn the page. Mia. Happy birthday to you. Your loving son, Luigi, the little immigrant. Be sure to listen next week at the same time over most of these stations when Luigi Basco writes another letter to his Mama Basco describing his adventures in America. Life with Luigi is a Cy Howard production and is written by Mac Benoff and Lou Derman and stars J. Carol Nash as Luigi Basco with Alan Reed as Pasquale. Music is under the direction of Lynn Murray. One of your favorite quiz games, Winner Take All, brings you fast and furious fun every weekday on most of these same CBS stations. Winner Take All lives up to its name by letting a contestant stay on so long as he's smarter and faster than each new opponent who faces him. Enjoy a lively session with Winner Take All tomorrow and pit your wits against the current champion. But now, stay tuned for a different kind of quiz. Throw your IQs in the wastebasket and listen to It Pays to Be Ignorant, which follows immediately over most of the CBS stations. Bob Stevenson speaking with the CBS, the Columbia Broadcasting System. Thank you for listening. I hope you'll be with me next week as I uncover more gems from the golden age of radio. Thanks to Paul Stringer and Joel Schoenwell for technical support. The executive producer for Theater of the Mind is Moses Neimer. I'm Frank Proctor. Have a wonderful weekend.
This podcast is proudly produced and presented by the Zoomer Podcast Network, home of great podcasts like Marilyn Lightstone Reads, Idea City on the Air, and The Garden Show.